Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The New Statesman. I'm Alona Ferber, editor of the New Statesman Spotlight Policy section and supplement. You're listening to the New Statesman's twice-weekly politics podcast. In this bonus episode brought to you by the Spotlight team, I am delighted to be joined by Stella Creasy, MP for Walthamstow. Stella has been the Labour and Co-op member for the East London constituency since 2010, and she has long been outspoken on the need to reform our dysfunctional childcare system. Childcare in the UK is among the most expensive in the OECD. According to a survey last year by the pressure group Pregnant Then Screwed, two-thirds of families spend as much or more on their mortgage or rent as they do on childcare. At the same time, the sector itself is in crisis, with record numbers of childcare settings closing over the past year. Now, as the cost of living crisis continues, childcare is becoming an increasingly political issue. Labour says it will completely reimagine the system if the party wins the next election. And now the Conservatives are reportedly planning an expansion of funding for childcare in the budget later on this month. We caught up with Stella at her office in Portcullis House when Parliament was back from recess in February. First of all, thank you so much for meeting us today. After we meet, you're going to be going to a debate on affordability and availability of childcare. And obviously, childcare has become a political issue in the past six months, maybe longer, in a way that it just hasn't been previously. I definitely think that's fair to say. I would say, as somebody who's been trying to talk about childcare for years, it was often like talking Klingon. People would hear the word childcare, and then they would start talking to you about some random child policy. Whereas in any other area of kind of public life, people would engage in the issue. But there was a general kind of, oh, yeah, that's a lady thing. Mm -hmm. So I just got to say something about ladies and I've covered it. That has definitely changed. And I think at this point, we should all give thanks for the glory that is pregnant and then screwed and the work that Jolie Braley has been doing to refuse to let politicians off the hook. Do you think that is the reason that we've seen the change because of activists like Jolie Braley? Or is it that the Conservatives and Labour were nearing an election and they can see that this is a potentially vote winning area? It has been an issue for generations that we have lost talent and capacity in our economy. I mean, one of the things that I think is so important about the debate that's happening now is finally people are seeing this not as an equalities issue, but an economics issue. 
But it has been the case for generations that our economy has been stifled by losing mm. talent from the workplace because we haven't made childcare work. We are one of the least productive nations in the G7. Brexit has holed us below the line, but we were already sinking. And one of the reasons we were sinking is because we don't use our social capital, our people in the best way. And when you dig deeper into the figures, that's often women and it's women of childbearing age. And one of the things I think is so troubling post-pandemic. Every other country has recovered, except for the country that's had Brexit. But also, if you look at the figures about the numbers of women who are not working right now, but want to, it's going up. The ones who are saying the reason they can't is caring responsibilities. So we were already falling behind our competitors in how we dealt with this issue and the impact it was having on productivity. And it's getting worse, not better, which is why this debate needs to happen. But also action needs to happen now. Do I think that'd be happening without the role that groups like Pregnant and Screwed and Mother Pucker and Mumsnet have all played. Look, I think what happened in the pandemic is that mums were at home and watching government say, oh, yes, we really ought to invest in potholes. But you parents, let's give you a slap on the back and that's enough for you. And it was like the it, the kind of bubble burst. People said, if we don't organise, nothing will change. So absolutely, frankly, as somebody who's say been campaigning on it for many years within the political process, it's been seen as a niche issue for women. It's not now. And that, I think, is down to the change in the campaigning organisations. So, you know, if Jolie Brody doesn't get a damehood pretty soon, I think that's the next campaign we should all be running. And you mentioned the words pothole on your wall over here. You've got notes on childcare. You mentioned the levelling up. Don't give it away. They're in the bunker. I can see there are notes here. This is my campaign of action. Every time any Conservative MP comes in here, they gulp a little bit. (laughs) Intimidated us too. But you've got there the amendment to the levelling up bill. And, you know, when the white paper was released a year ago, there was nothing mentioned in there about childcare in any way. And then towards the end of last year, you put forward that amendment. And in Parliament, you said parents and potholes should get equal attention. Can you explain why you put that amendment forward and what practical difference it yes, makes in that It's such bill? an example of where this place is so far behind the conversations. And I mean, I have to say, somebody's campaigned on a number of issues, campaigning around motherhood. I've received the most hostility from my peers in this place. It's extraordinary how out of touch people in Parliament are. When you talk to people out in the country about what gets people into work, of course they get good roads, good public transport too, but so does good childcare. And yet in this place, in terms of the conversations we were having about our economic infrastructure, nobody was talking about childcare as part of it. As I said earlier, they tend to talk about childcare as a lady issue and it's something to do with equality. Almost like childcare is something that you give so that mums can go and do a bit of baby yoga rather than the numbers of millions of people who are left out of our workplaces, not able to take on roles, not able to pay the taxes that they could from getting the jobs that they could because they've also got caring commitments. So putting childcare in as an economic infrastructure issue is about saying, well, okay, what do we do with economic infrastructure? We invest in it because we recognise the return it makes. I am somebody who's been campaigning for universal childcare for a long time because it basically pays for itself because it gets more people into work, like good roads do. The levelling up bill had nothing in about the funding that is available for infrastructure and how it could go towards childcare. So we wanted to change that because... If you've got a local community, and I say the public get this, if you're building lots of new flats and there's no childcare, it doesn't matter if there's school places, what do you do with the kid until they're five? So putting it on an equal footing and saying, actually, if in a local community people want to invest in childcare, and we know that a lack of places as well as the cost of places is so critical to this, it means getting money. It's no good people saying we want families to have those options, especially wealthy people in Parliament who've had nannies and all sorts of things, and not putting the money behind making those choices possible. So we need to access that infrastructure funding. 
the government said, oh, well, we think this should be possible, but they wouldn't put their money where their mouth is. So there is an amendment going through the bill in the Lords right now to make sure that local authorities and local communities can access that funding, crucially, not just to build childcare places and childcare infrastructure. And I'm talking not just about nurseries, but also things like amazing toy libraries and children's centres, but also fund the people to run them. Because the other thing about this, and anybody who's currently using childcare, you know, I, the nursery I use, the women, and it's mainly women who run it, are amazing, but they're massively underpaid. And one of the things about this area as well is we're underpaying nursery staff and we're underfunding. It's deliberate by government and it, they admit it in their own papers they're underfunding the places which means it's really hard to recruit and retain good staff this amendment that we've got would allow local authorities not just to fund the physical spaces but also the people to put in them to make sure you've got that childcare from year zero I want to go back to the point about the people who work in childcare and yeah. their pay in a minute but I want to ask you first there are reports that Jeremy Hunt in the budget will be extending free childcare hours to kids of younger age at the moment obviously only from the age of three working parents and get that support 30 hours working parents 15 if one of them isn't working and the reports are that he will extend it to the ages of one and two what do you think about let's be really that cut off bakes in inequality because frankly if you're wealthy enough to be able to look after your kid before the age of two you're probably wealthy to be able to look after your kid after the age of two as well. So the women who are leaving the workplace, particularly are those women who are, if they've managed to get statutory maternity pay and they've had any cover, they hit six to nine months and they realise they, they can't afford the childcare. And two thirds of the families in the pregnant and cruise scurvy are spending more on their childcare than they are on their rent or their mortgage costs. So it bakes in inequality to put the threshold. And I've never found anybody in government who can explain to me why it is two years or even three years that we then you start getting the 30 hours. I've met every single parent who, when their child turns three, gives a whoop of delight because they see the impact on their costs. So we need to fund childcare from nine months, in fact, from six months, so that there is a seamless transition. It's what our competitors are doing. My worry is that fiddling around with a couple more hours rather than a fundamental rethink of how you make sure it works, because... At the moment, because that is underfunded, when nurseries are taking in younger children or they're taking in children who are funded, they're having to cross-subsidise. So actually, especially in communities like mine, which I have the ninth highest level of child poverty in the country, the cost of childcare is astronomical because you're trying to subsidise the underfunding. So actually, if we're going to fund it, we need to fund it from the get-go and we need to fund it properly so that you get the benefits of people being able to afford the fees and actually it becoming a, an affordable childcare system. So Labour, ahead of the election, there's been lots of bits coming out about the childcare policy that that you guys would enact in government. Bridget Phillipson has said Labour will completely reimagine the childcare system if the party wins the election. But all the things that are coming out about that policy, do they add up to a complete reimagining? It sounds a little bit like there's a lot of using what's there breakfast clubs, extra hours. It sounds a little bit far from the vision you have. There is still a debate going on. Do I think that Bridget gets it? Yes, absolutely. And Rachel Reeves. And it has been a completely different conversation to have with them than, as I say, talking to a chancellor and a prime minister who didn't even mention the word childcare in their budgets. Mm. It wasn't even on their agenda at all. Look, there's two things here. There is actually a lot of money going into childcare, but it's going into baking in that inequality. What do I mean? Look, I get... 20% off my childcare, because I I know about that scheme. Lots of parents don't know that you can get 20% if you can work your way through the tax website, which is one of the most bizarre systems I've ever seen for government. It's almost like it's designed to deter people from claiming. But also then, because one of my children is now three, I get the subsidised hours. So there is money going in, but it's going in at the wrong point. And it's going in in such a way that only if you have sharp elbows do you understand where it is. So there is money there to be claimed to be putting into a system 
as we've said, look, a universal system pretty much pays for itself because you get more people back into work and you get the benefits from the tax take for doing that. So I think one of the questions for all of us is about the phasing of it, both where do you put the money that's already there? There does need to be extra money going in, let me be very clear about that. And that's why when I hear Bridget and Rachel talking about it, I'm really confident that there is going to be a really strong off from Labour about that additional funding. But it's then what do you do over the longer period of time because you are getting more people into work and generating more funds that actually makes it a much more affordable system. I don't hear any of that thinking coming from Jeremy Hunt and Rishi Sunak. If anything, I hear from some of the Conservatives this idea that, well, really what women ought to be doing, and it's often they talk about mums because no one's ever talking about the dads who want to be with their kids. And we know loads of dads do, but I hear them talking about wanting to help more women stay at home. Actually, I don't think the state should be dictating to any family how you organise yourself. I think you should be making it possible for people to make the choices they want to make. And we know lots of women want to go back to work, but they can't. And the gender pay gap means it's women rather than dads who are making those decisions. So, yes, there needs to be more money. And I'm confident that is on the agenda with the Labour Party. But also there needs to be better use of the funding that there is, because over the medium term, it will more or less pay for itself. But is there a risk that this complete reimagining that we've been touted over the past year is actually going to fall short? Is what we're going to see from Labour after an election, what the Conservatives are doing, playing around with this system that doesn't quite work? It's not that it doesn't quite work. It's fundamentally flawed, about to collapse. The numbers of nurseries going out of business, for mm. a start. As I said, the numbers of women actually leaving the workplace is rising, not falling. And that's post-pandemic and even with working from home, let alone those people whose jobs cannot be done from home. And often they're the people on the lowest incomes who need it the most. So it's not that we need a bit of tinkering. We do need a whole-scale reimagining. I think what you're asking about is... If you're going to do it properly, that is going to require a sum up front. I'm confident that debate is happening within the Labour movement. I'm confident that it needs to keep happening. I want to hear what Jeremy Hunt is going to say. Of course I do, because it affects so many people now. But I just don't hear that scale of ambition. And if anything, I hear the caveats. We're in a position now where at least we're supposed to be grateful that they've dropped the idea that they might increase the ratio. When that was being talked about, I stopped the childcare minister in the lobby and said, if you want some extra kids to practice with to see how impractical that is, I've got two you can borrow. So we're a long way from the government's thinking to where the Labour movement is. And the Labour movement is going to go further. That's very clear. And that's what's exciting about this, because this is a new... This isn't just about things like restoring Start. This is actually about a fundamentally effective universal childcare system. The only questions and debate for all of us are the phasing of it and when things come in. You talk about a universal childcare system and you've got you set up a campaign this month votes to get yeah. more women into elected office with childcare responsibilities or caring responsibilities. And in and on the kind of policy pledges for that, you talk about starting off with childcare for all families at 10% of total income at the cap, but then later having universal childcare from the age of six months for all children. Yeah. Is that the sort of bold reform that you think a Labour government would, would bring in? Oh, that, look, I mean, there's two things you've asked. I mean, one, I set up Mother Ed to fund mums to get into pot because this place does not have women who, or who have young children on the whole. That's not accidental. That's the way in which we do politics. And I, again, I see brilliant candidates. And in fact, the 55 who we funded are great examples of this. And 11 of them have been selected so far, which is amazing, who were deterred from being part of politics, not because they didn't have talent, time or energy, but because of the cost barriers they were facing. And also the expectation that if you have, I mean, again, I've never faced so much hostility as I have talking about motherhood. And people saying, oh, you're only doing it for yourself, as if there aren't millions of mums out there. What kind of hostility? 
in terms of people questioning your motives. I mean, some of the people who claim to be the biggest defenders of women's rights saying you're acting like you're the first woman ever to have a baby. That's completely the wrong debate to be having here. We've got to ask ourselves in our politics why those voices are missing and what impact, you know, you started off by asking me why we're only now starting to have this debate. Where are the voices, the champions in here? exposing that a system that thinks it's family friendly to, to have votes at seven o'clock in the evening as if bedtime is what, I don't know, 10 o'clock at night for a toddler. It may be in some instances, I don't know. It is painfully obvious where those absence of voices has impacted on people's expectations. And the people who said to me, well, I struggled, so should you. And that seems to be how we treat. There's no other area of, of public life or policy where we say to people, if you're not struggling, you're yeah. not doing it right. And yet we say that about motherhood. Hey, girl, you know, keep going with the juggle. You're like, that's insane. Why aren't we making this easier? Because if nothing else, I think there's a national pandemic of really knackered, tired parents out there who need us to do something to make sure that they are getting enough sleep more than anything. You asked me about why it matters and the policy debate. Form follows function. The more people who are experiencing these issues to show why we need to change it, the better. Because it isn't actually just about getting more mums into public life. It's about the fact that mums' voices are not heard across the piece. One of the other things we've been campaigning on as well is also about parental leave and shared parental leave and flexible working. And, you know, when I hear people talking about maternity leave like it's a holiday, I know they've never cared for a newborn baby. All of those debates feed into our expectations about what is possible and that's what you're seeing. I have no idea why Jeremy Hunt is still resisting the idea that they need to do something on childcare. The debate should be about how far we go, how quickly, but he's still resisting it. And one of the reasons I think he thinks he can resist it is because there is this residual sense that you're doing families a favour if you provide them with childcare rather than investing in the future. And that's what we've got to change. I have faced a lot of abuse and I say hostility for talking about for also because I didn't have any maternity cover thinking well I still need to do my job which is why I ended up bringing my baby into the chamber and the only bit of maternity policy this place has done in the last five years is to work out to ban mums from the chamber with their babies so it shows you how out of touch it is with where the public are which is this is crazy we shouldn't be missing out on people because they've had children we should find a way to make family friendly work because of all the benefits to everybody else and this mum votes is about so much more than just getting good affordable childcare as the bedrock of a functioning economy it is also about a fundamental rethink about how we do public policy to hear mum's voices and to hear that not just in terms of their representation in this place that matters but also their representation in every workplace and in every sphere of life so that we end that culture which says you're doing it wrong if you're not having a miserable time absolutely i've got to ask you on that note yeah. you've got two kids now yes how is that how are you finding that juggle it's, it's impossible to do. And I'm sick of seeing people either say that you have to disappear or your child has to disappear. And I'm really keen that we normalise the idea that what is unacceptable. I say we wouldn't accept it in another area of life. So, yeah, I'm always worried I'm missing stuff. I'm knackered. I'm frustrated. I'm also annoyed that it's the only thing people talk to me about now. As if everything else in my life has disappeared. It's ground zero on my career. And I know a lot of mums will associate with that. I've been keeping a tally of the comments that people make to me in this place from the colleague who said oh you're carrying around a big bag aren't you because you must be carrying all that baby stuff I was like no it's all the papers for all the meetings that we have to go to the Tory MP who stopped me in the corridor when I was pushing my children because I'd collected them from the nursery to go on to a vote at a completely weird time of night and he was like oh look how much space you're taking up how many more of them are you going to have as though that was an acceptable thing I can't to say. Said that to I know, and when I called him out on it, he said, oh, I was just trying to be funny. And you're thinking, no, what you're doing is repeating the trope that I've disappeared because I've had a baby. And if it's like that now, 
imagine what it's like for women coming into the system. My sadness is the people who want to repeat that because they have this kind of don't put your head above the parapet. If we've seen anything over the last couple of years is that when mums particularly put their heads above the parapet and say up with this we will not put they are a force to be reckoned with and if nothing else i'd be saying to jeremy hunt mums will be voting in the next election they are a powerful lobby who are seeing that they are being left out and seeing the impact of childcare costs you cannot solve the cost of living crisis unless you solve the cost of childcare in this country and as much as i've had all this grief for being somebody who talks about it we are very clear that it has to change because it affects millions of people in this country and it's going to continue to affect millions of people in this country and it's particularly going to affect women because we expect women to suffer when they have children. After the break, we'll discuss a voice that seems sorely missing from the debates about our broken childcare system. The people, mostly women, who do the very difficult and seriously underpaid job of looking after children. If you're subscribed to The New Statesman, you can get all of our episodes ad-free on The New Statesman app. It's available for both iOS and Android. Just search for New Statesman on the App Store or Google Play Store. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. Hi, it's Anoush here. This is just a reminder that as a podcast listener, you have the option of subscribing to the New Statesman with a very special offer. You can subscribe for just a pound a week. That's 12 weeks for £12. If you go to newstatesman.com forward slash podcast offer. We'll be right back. If you enjoy the New Statesman podcast, then you'll love our daily politics newsletter, Morning Call. It's a quick, essential guide to the big political story each morning by me, Freddie Hayward and Rachel Wearmouth, featuring original reporting from Westminster and beyond, our analysis of the latest political news and some recommendations of the best reads of the day. Sign up for free at the link in the podcast description. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. You mentioned earlier the people who are working in the, in the earlier sector and in childcare. And yeah. one of the voices that seems to be missing from the debate in general are the mostly women working, looking after children on very low wages, with little career progression, no unionization to leverage. Obviously, the sector is in crisis, like you said, yeah. thousands of businesses closing within a year. But do we, do we need to hear more from and about the people doing the work and being able to give them a sort of more dignified wage and more of well, a sort We of need to recognise it's a profession. Looking after somebody's children is not an add-on. It's a serious profession with a series of qualifications. It was all about early years development. Getting early years right is the foundation of a good education. Again, I think there's a parallel in other caring professions where because it's dominated by women, we undervalue it. That needs to change. We need to change it, A, by paying it properly. Also, we need to change all the rules that mean that local authorities are the last resort in terms of providing nurseries and childcare provision in a local community. I sit here as a co-op as well as Labour MP. The childcare co-op movement is massive. It, we could grow that substantially. That would be a fundamental revolution in how we do childcare. But I know in my local community, a group of mums were looking to set up a co-op and the barriers are enormous to it. Again, because we don't value the role that childcare plays in our economy. It all fits together 
there is an exciting, powerful, progressive agenda here. We're just at the start of it. But do I think it's going to form a key test in the next election? Yes, absolutely. Because of the impact on the cost of living. Does that need to be about more than just the cost of childcare? It has to be about how we provide it, where we provide it, and the ways in which we support and value the people who are doing it. Because it's not just simply somebody sitting and watching, hey, Dougie, with your kid. It's actually about their emotional, social, and personal development. I am hugely grateful for the nursery here in Parliament that I pay for, to be very clear. And I, it's not subsidised in the way that people think it is. But it's run by professionals who have a wealth of expertise that they bring to the development of my two children. And you can see it. You're about to go after an interview to mm. a debate on childcare in the House of Commons on affordability and availability of childcare. I think one of the things, and you alluded to this in what you said just now, about the quality of the care your children are getting in, at nursery here, we don't hear a lot about quality of what, mm. what children are actually getting. Are we missing an opportunity with that when we talk about reform of childcare? Labour talks a lot about economic opportunity, getting people into the workforce and growth. But what about those crucial first few years and how much you can equalise opportunity for different children? You know, it's one of the challenges about this is joining it all together. When you talk to teachers in primary schools, they see the impact of children who have had early years support and provision and those children who haven't, whether it's on speech and language development, whether it's on personal social care. The horror stories are about children who are not toilet trained going into school, for example, children who don't know how to interact with their peers. So find sitting in a classroom a really difficult thing to do. And I think the thing to remember about childcare and about education is that the mistake people make is they act like it's going into a supermarket and picking off a particular type of childcare product for them for, or for their child. Childcare and education is like going into a nightclub. Fundamentally, the other children in there impact your experience and your whether you've had a good time or not. So it's really important to remember that when you do childcare and when you do education, it's a collective activity, which means it matters if you've got children falling behind at an early age, because actually that will impact everybody in the class, not just in terms of the music they play in the nightclub, shall we say. But, you know, it's such a challenge in the way we talk about the policy that we don't think about the collective impact on children who are struggling in a classroom on other children to recognise that if you could do something about that and you could make sure it was more equal at an earlier age, every child would flourish as a result. So the fact that early years provision in this country is still a privatised endeavour that it's hit and miss whether kids get it has an impact on inequality it has an impact on the cost of childcare and it also has an impact on our society as a result it's a win-win to fix these problems it's taken too long for this place to realise that but now that debate is happening the challenge for all of us is to make sure that we don't let anyone off the hook about what needs to be done and that we think big because you're right to say people have scrabbled around the edges for years and said could we pick a bit more from that pot here or maybe add a few hours there rather than dealing with the fundamental problem which is why are our economic competitors investing in this and we're not and what are they getting out of it that we're not somebody sent me one of those videos about the childcare provision in germany and all the things that you get like a sleep consultant and support as a parent as well about your own mental health let alone childcare and i just looked at it and i thought Oh, God, sometimes I really wish the internet wasn't around, because <laughs> now I know. It's less inspiring than de- yeah, it's depressing. Yeah, depressing about how different the debate is there, because they see what this is. It's about investment. So Keir Starmer this mm. week is going to announce all a few of the five national missions he's announcing ahead of the next election. Some will be announced this week. Education and the economy are two of the planks, reportedly. How central do you think early years and childcare and the things that you've been talking about will be in that? I am really confident it's going to be a key part of it because I see people like Rachel and Bridget really driving it forward and really getting it. 
And that's what I think is really exciting. About. Is that because women are involved in that? Is the key, you know, you mentioned Bridget and Rachel a few times. Is that because, do they get it because they're women, so they prioritise it? In no, way and that I think one of the don't. things that really annoys me about this debate is the idea that it's a lady debate and that it's something we should let men off the hook. Because, you know, I did biology, and forgive me, there are at least two people involved in making a baby, sometimes more depending on the challenges that you faced. So, you know, the idea that male politicians shouldn't be part of this or don't bear responsibility, no, it's because they're smart. They recognise the economic and egalitarian outcomes of investing in childcare. And having those two women in those positions makes a massive difference to our economic offer. And that's why I'm really excited. Absolutely. My question is whether they understand how important a priority it is, because as women, they see the effects of this system that doesn't work in a way that maybe men don't. Maybe Jeremy Hunt isn't making it front and centre of his. I think you'd need to ask Jeremy Hunt about his experience of childcare. I don't know. I just think there's something really important in this that we don't repeat the idea that solving all of this is down to women because it's parents who will benefit and the wider social public if we do it too. And part of the reason why I'm challenging all of this is I think I go back to what I first said about it's like you're talking Klingon. There's a kind of expectation that people like me will talk Klingon and then frankly some of my male colleagues when they've mentioned childcare in passing get lauded they never get the abuse so mm. you know my male colleagues who take their children to the lobby never had any of the abuse that I've had for doing it that I'm somehow a terrible mother whereas they're a fantastic dad if I could pass any piece of legislation we would ban the phrase daddy daycare but <laughs> that speaks to one of the challenges in this debate and it happens in politics too where we think women will probably solve it everyone needs to be part of this because everyone's missing out when we don't invest in childcare. Absolutely. So late 2021, when you took your younger son to parliament and you were told you couldn't be in parliament, you wrote about it and you said, it's a chicken egg situation. A few mothers of young children get elected. So there's little need to reconsider these rules in the first place. And you've set up that campaign to get women into politics so that they can be around the policymaking table. So, I mean, I understand your point about not associating the solution with women, but is there a point about if you don't have women around the table, then these policies don't get prioritised because nobody else is... It's a slightly different point we're making. So the This Mom Votes campaign that the mother-ed candidates are all supporting is about recognising those are good things for the Labour movement to do in themselves. And yes, absolutely, they bring an experience to it. But it's also about recognising because we're not doing those things, all the talent that those women represent that was held back because they were mums, so they were finding that going for selection had an added expense, was being missed out as well. Like in themselves, those women bring a whole wealth of ideas. You know, Mayatta, who's been selected in Campbell and Peckham, if she's not helping run the economy within the next 18 months, we're missing out because she's an incredibly talented woman. Jane Kirkham from Cornwall brings all sorts of experience from local government. Rachel Blake, Kirith, who's just been selected in Bolton North East, you know, fantastic women who in their own right will contribute to politics. But because they were mums, that contribution wasn't being seen. So it's both. We're trying to break down that barrier. The women who get asked at selection, what are your children going to do if you get selected? And you think, no one's ever asking the men this. But it's more than that. that It creates this barrier that says, are you really sure? Should you be thinking about this when you've got other responsibilities rather than us going, how do we take away the barrier that means that we miss out on your talent? So look, having more mums here absolutely will bring more experience to the room But it doesn't mean that the people already in the room don't have a responsibility for changing that. And it doesn't mean that those women are only going to talk about being a mum. It's about actually what we're missing out on because we don't tackle these issues. You know, I am somebody who comes from a part of the Labour movement who thinks the whole point about Labour politics is emancipation, is freeing people from expectations, freeing people from discrimination, freeing people from the barriers that mean that they can't achieve their potential because of the impact it has on everyone when you do that. Nicola Sturgeon obviously has just 
resigned. Jacinda Ardern is gone. You mentioned the hostility and some abuse that you get as a very prominent woman politician. Should we be worried about a kind of longer term trend of women saying, I can't do this anymore? No, what we should be worried about is what we're asking them to walk into. Why is it every single time we make women the problem? Can they hack it? Can they cope with the kitchen? Are they strong enough? Are they like a man enough rather than asking about the environment? This place is bonkers. It's not just Hogwarts gone wrong. It works weird hours with weird traditions that are designed to exclude and disempower people. Let's change the environment rather than asking women to put up with that. And let's also remember that Jacinda Ardern's predecessor did exactly the same thing, but nobody started going, can men have it all? Can men really cope with the environment? We've got to stop thinking that the problem is the women. I remember having a conversation with someone in the Labour Party who was boasting about how Labour was running training to help women leaders come forward within the party. And I said, that's brilliant. And what are you doing to tackle the bias that doesn't appoint those women in the first place? Because it's as much about the bias as it is about the confidence. What did they say? They looked a bit bemused. I thought, oh, yeah, I'm speaking Klingon again, aren't I? We can change these things. I'm here and I'm refusing to go away because I think we do have to change them. But it is going to be uncomfortable conversations. And it is as much about saying to Jeremy Hunt, why has it taken you so long to recognise that childcare is a massive part of our economy as it is saying to women politicians, oh, can you talk about anything else other than childcare because that's self-interest? It's not self-interest. It's about the British interest. And the British interest is having a functioning, successful economy. And you can't do that unless you're investing in people. And kids are people too. On the point of the bias, do you think within our lifetimes, and I'm 40, will we see a Labour led by a woman? Will this happen within the next, I don't know how long I'll be alive? (laughs) I'm solidly middle-aged making references to David Bowie that my staff have no idea what I'm talking about anymore. Undoubtedly, is it enough is a second question. Is one woman at the top, bearing in mind what you've just said, going to change that culture? Actually, you know, we need to really frighten Piers Morgan, don't we? There need to be women everywhere because that's what equality looks like. I go back to one of the most powerful studies I ever saw, which was done by Gina Davis from Thelma and Louise fame, which showed that if a room has 20% women in, the men think it's 50-50. And if a woman has 30% women in, the men think there's more women than men. We are in that 2020 society. I get people telling me that we've got equality now, that we've got the benefits of having women around because they've seen a woman in power. It's not about one or two women. It's about the fact that we're 51% of the population. We're still massively underrepresented. And we're still working in a way that is designed to exclude difference and exclude diversity. One of the things that makes me proudest about the mother ed candidates is the diversity within them. Because actually, when you take away one of those barriers, i.e. saying you've had a baby, so you shouldn't be involved in politics. And I've had people say that to me. I had to resign from a committee in here because people said, oh, now you've had a baby, you probably can't cope. And I was so fed up with it. I was like, I am going to walk away from you guys because I'm going to focus on changing this. But actually, with the mother ed candidates, 30% of them are from black and ethnic minority backgrounds. 20% have children with special educational needs. 25% are single parents. 25% of them are from the lowest social income backgrounds. When you take away one barrier, when you start fracturing the expectation about what a politician looks like, you get all sorts of other skills, talents, experiences coming forward. That can only be good for a politics. That can only be good for democracy, which rests on the idea that everybody can be heard. Is there anything you want to add on the childcare policy front that we might have missed? Also, it all needs to link up with universal credit. We haven't talked about universal credit, but the way in which our benefit system funds childcare, again, 
actively discriminates against women from the lowest incomes getting into work and being able to pay childcare in the first place. That's what I mean when I say that there is money out there, but it's being directed in the wrong places because it comes from the wrong set of expectations about what mums will need. Rather than doing policy to mums, why don't we talk to them and make sure it works? And one of the ways is to reform universal credit. Thank you very much. Not at all. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Alona Ferber, and my guest, Stella Creasy. We'll be back on Thursday discussing the week in politics. Follow us on your podcast app to make sure you get new episodes as soon as they're released. We're produced by wonderful producer, May Robson. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.